Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. There were a lot of tears and, and sleepless nights. It's the final straw for some BC businesses as others say they're barely hanging on, hoping pandemic restrictions will ease soon. Plus, being such a historical garden being damaged like that, it hurts me. What a disturbing discovery at a Chinatown landmark says about the state of the city and. What I'm going to miss most about the storm crow is just that it's such a safe space for everyone. The triple whammy that was too much for this Vancouver bar as the owners try to soften the blow for staff on closing night. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC bars, nightclubs, gyms and dance studios have been shuttered since late December, while indoor social events are still banned and large venues reduced to 50% capacity. Those public health orders will end on Tuesday, but with no clear direction on what's next, many business owners are in limbo, while others say it's already too late. Kristen Robinson reports. It was a very painful decision. Yeah. Jennifer Dancy is folding up almost eight years of memories. There were a lot of tears and, and sleepless nights. Her empty D2 dance studio, a reflection of two years of pandemic challenges. Government supports like the commercial rent subsidy kept the business alive, but for how much longer? Our business is built on social contact. It brings people together. For much of COVID, they haven't been able to gather. Social dance events just not the same on Zoom. So Dancy is shutting the doors for good. This month, we realized after the fourth time that we've been closed and, and or restricted in our activities, we finally decided that it just wasn't making any sense to pay rent on a space that we were barely able to use. Dance studios, bars, nightclubs, gyms and fitness centres were ordered to close December 22nd and BC's top doctor offered no hints Friday about whether the restrictions, which are set to expire January 18th, will be lifted, extended or amended. And I'll have more to say about that on Tuesday. Those are ongoing discussions and I'll have more to say about this next week. I'm going to defer the, the Tuesday question to Tuesday. It's like a bad relationship where we're just being strung along, except it's a relationship we can't get out of. With no guidance, Nick Johnson is preparing to reopen his four anytime fitness gyms. But I do want to follow the rules and this lack of communication is so frustrating because come Tuesday morning, there really aren't many rules that I know apart from the ones when we close down. The entire industry is just holding their breath. BC's Alliance of Beverage Licensees telling members to stand by on placing orders and scheduling staff. We're all on the same page about doing the right thing for the virus, uh, to get rid of the virus, right? But we need a little bit of notice to plan and we haven't been receiving that this time. The marquee on the penthouse nightclub says it all. Owner Danny Filipponi expects these seats won't be occupied again until mid-February. The right move, he says, but frustrating. But, you know, losing New Year's Eve and now potentially losing Super Bowl, 
I mean, those are, those are tough pills for bars like ours to swallow. While it's lights out for now, Dancy says she'll be back in some capacity once indoor events are allowed and the dance community is able to return to its pre-pandemic days. It's not goodbye, it's just, we'll see you later. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, other than Tuesday's briefing on the public health orders, what else should we be looking out for when it comes to COVID-19 in B.C.? Well, Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry is joining us from Victoria with more on that. So, Keith, what can we expect? Yeah, we got a pretty good hint of what to expect this week uh, during Friday's modeling from public health officials and Dr. Bonnie Henry, uh, both on various health indicators. It might provide a clue of exactly what's going to happen on Tuesday in terms of the orders being changed or amended. Uh, here's what to expect. First of all, our daily case numbers have been going down. That's expected to continue. That's down about 1,000 uh, a day in just a week. The positivity rate has been dropping as well, and that's directly tied to the dropping daily case numbers. So th those are the two good news, Nidu, but the third one is the problematic when hospitalizations are expected to increase. That was the prediction uh, or the forecast in the modeling on Friday for at least a week till at least the 22nd. Already we're, we're changing the way we're counting people in hospital. So we're finding more cases in hospital, 646 on Friday, three days of reporting tomorrow, likely well more than 700 people in hospital. And that number will continue to climb. So you frame that against whether or not gyms and nightclubs open on Tuesday. Hard to reconcile the two, but we'll see. But one doesn't necessarily follow the other. The daily case numbers and positivity rate are dropping. That's encouraging news. So I think uh, we're going to be out of these restrictions sooner than later, but maybe not as early as Tuesday. We'll know more on that day. We'll be keeping a close eye on that announcement for sure. Thanks for that, Keith. A vaccine mandate is set to begin tomorrow for those who work in the Delta School District. Starting on Monday, district staff will be given six weeks to disclose their vaccination status. Those who are unvaccinated or who fail to disclose their status by the deadline will have to undergo regular rapid testing or take an unpaid leave of absence. This policy does not apply to students. B.C.'s Assembly of First Nations says the murder of Carmelita Abraham is a reminder that the National Action Plan from the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Inquiry must be implemented. Court records show Abraham, a member of the Talkla Lake First Nation, was mur murdered on December 28th, around the same date that RCMP say she was last seen getting a ride from Williams Lake to Quinell. 51-year-old Joseph Simpson of Quinell was arrested Thursday and charged with murder and indignity to human remains in Abraham's death. Simpson and Abraham were known to each other, and her homicide is allegedly related to domestic violence. In the case of, of Carmelita and many Indigenous women, that we are still overrepresented in terms of statistics, uh, in terms of of violence in terms of um, murders to uh, towards our indigenous women and and we can't really lose uh, sight of that in terms of how best to I, I suppose you know intervene or perhaps even prevent these types of situations from happening and uh, it's a stark reminder with the the arrest there there is some semblance of closure but still it it, it doesn't make any things easier uh, for, for the family. It's, it's a sad situation and, and our hearts and prayers go out to, to our community and my extended family. Abraham's alleged killer will appear in Williams Lake Court on Monday. 
A tragic discovery in Kelowna this morning when a woman's body was found near a local dog park. The RCMP erected a small tent and cordoned off the scene on Glenmore Road as investigators searched the area. One of the entrances to the park has been blocked off, although it's still open to the public. So far, police will only say the woman's death is believed to be suspicious. Kelowna RCMP are asking any witnesses to come forward. RCMP now say two innocent bystanders were also hurt in Friday night's shooting at the parking lot of a Coquitlam strip mall. Witnesses reported shots fired outside of the shopping complex in the 1000 block of Austin Avenue just before 9.30 p.m. A man was rushed to hospital with gunshot wounds. He's expected to make a full recovery. Investigators say the victim was known to police and that it was a targeted attack. But two other people not connected to the victim suffered minor injuries, likely from debris from the shooting. Police want to speak with any other witnesses and anyone who may have any relevant dash cam or residential footage. Vancouver residents, business operators and even the police have all commented on the recent rise in vandalism in parts of the city, all the more noticeable during our pandemic. But even the discovery this morning on the walls of a Chinatown landmark was shocking. Here's Paul Johnson. No list of Vancouver's cultural jewels would be complete without the exquisite Dr. Sun Yat-sen Gardens, a traditional Chinese garden meant to highlight the forces of harmony and balance. So you can imagine the reaction when its admirers awoke to this indignity Sunday morning. I feel such a beautiful garden being damaged and vandalized like this, I, I feel sad. We're not taking care of our city and graffiti is one way, it's the trash, it's the needles. One official with the garden told Global News that on top of the vandalism, they now regularly have to clean up urine and feces at their gate. A troubling problem if you're a city that touts itself as being world class. It makes me angry. The scale of uh, the vandalism and graffiti is becoming unprecedented. Vancouver City Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young says the city needs to look no further than Nanaimo, which recently took the step of tracking down and taking its worst graffiti vandals out of circulation. We have sent a message that this type of vandalism and sort of social decay is okay, and I'm watching the city decline around us, and that's not okay. Ever since there's like pandemic, people don't come out and more vandalisms are happening. It's just sad. Residents in the nearby downtown east side neighborhood have told Global News recently that there's been a years-long decline in public safety here. More noticeable during the pandemic, someone started putting these stickers up outside condo buildings. As for the graffiti, it's entirely indecipherable except for the vandal who did it. The message is clear. When a cultural landmark like this gets defaced, it says something about the state of the city. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Abbotsford police have arrested an Alberta man for allegedly stealing a semi-truck and smashing his way through parts of the Fraser Valley. On 10.30 Saturday morning, a truck was reported stolen in eastern Abbotsford. Chilliwack RCMP spotted it near Yale Road and... 
one, but the driver failed to stop for officers. Police say the driver re-entered Abbotsford, where officers saw him crash into another truck, then speed away. Officers opted not to give chase due to the driver's erratic behavior and heavy fog at the time. The semi-truck ended up colliding into a concrete meridian at Immel Street and Old Claiborne Road and became stuck. The suspect ran away but then tried to steal another vehicle. Members of the public intervened before officers were able to take Rory Serna into custody. The 28-year-old faces multiple charges, including dangerous operation of a motor vehicle and possession of stolen property. Well, work is well underway to repair the seawall in Vancouver, which was heavily damaged during a powerful storm more than a week ago. But much like the popular grouse grind on the North Shore, any closure signs that are set up around it are actively being ignored. Kamil Kermali reports. It's been more than since strong winds combined with a king tide shattered Stanley Park's iconic seawall. And while signs continue to warn of the dangers and chain-link fences try and post a barrier to the broken pathway, it certainly hasn't been enough to stop the hundreds of people still using it every day. It doesn't stop me from running. Global News' camera caught multiple people using the seawall's barrier to precariously climb around the fence with a drop into the water below. Others turned back, not wanting to risk it. Yeah, we had to turn back. <laughs> That's okay, we got to see some uh, Why? Can it go through? Some taking issue with the lack of alternative routes available. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. So the fence, I agree with you. The fence stops here, yeah. and then onto the beach, you're able to continue. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, what, what am I, you're asking me why I'm choosing to go on the wall like this rather yeah. than onto the beach? It looks safe. It's not. It could collapse at any time. Vancouver Park Board releasing this video answering a question on everyone's minds. Why exactly is this section of the seawall considered dangerous right now? There are logs that are loose. There are piles of boulders that are unstable that have been moved in the recent storm. There's rebar sticking up out of the coping stones. Adding crews continue to repair the seawall. The biggest thing you could do right now is to stay away and let the crews do their job. The Park Board wouldn't commit to a timeline for reopening this portion of the seawall. Kamal Kermali, Global News. After the break, an auction no one wanted to have. It's up for $5,000, but we're open to reasonable offers. The triple-layer blow to this Vancouver bar and how owners are making the most of it to help their employees. Plus... These are people who have the means. They're trying to get ahead of the curve. Could Canada attract newcomers fleeing environmental disasters? Tankards of ale are being pulled at Vancouver's Nerd Bar tonight. The Storm Crow Ale House, known for its sci-fi and fantasy-themed menu and memorabilia, is closing its doors tonight after struggling to stay open under a trio of pressures. But as Grace Key reports, the owners decided to capitalize on that quirky memorabilia to help their outgoing staff. Hello. Hey. How you doing? It's last call for Vancouver's Storm Crow Ale House on Broadway. A sports bar for geeks is how owner Jason Kapalka first envisioned the space. And now many of the items are up for auction. This is a life-size TARDIS. Like the TARDIS in Doctor Who, it is bigger on the inside. Or for Star Wars fans, how about this baby rancor over the mantle? It's the, uh, the, the child of the monster that, uh, that Luke fought in, um, in Return of the Jedi at Jabba's Palace. 
and uh, it's it's quite realistic. If you're more into D&D, you can own the Beholder to keep an eye on things. Don't go too close. Uh, it has layer actions. The owner had the heads made by a couple of film prop friends, many of the memorabilia he collected over the years. And then the weaponry. This one has sold, but there's, there's going to be a lot of axes up on the website in the next couple of days. Basically, if you want to go and be a LARPer, <laughs> you might want to outfit yourself here. A combination of the pandemic, supply chain disruptions, staff shortages and Broadway construction have caught up with the Storm Crow, so they made the tough decision to shut down. What I'm going to miss most about the Storm Crow is just that it's such a safe space for everyone. I like to say that there's a little nerd in everyone. It's a safe space where people could just come down, play some games, have some fun drinks named after weird things and just have a good time. The guests are here for one last toast, and for one couple, among the glass jar bottled heads, they managed to find love. Yeah, we, we had our first date here, so we, we come like once a year at least. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sad, it's really sad. From the diet 20 on the menu and like rolling it for your burger, it's just just that very nerdy atmosphere and that very nerdy concept that, that had to the, to, the, to the place. And I really regret not knowing about this place sooner because I'm not, I'm not a full-fledged geek, but I'm very sympathetic to geekdom. All the money from the auction is going towards staff. Stormcrow Alehouse closes its doors for good 11 p.m. Sunday. Grace Key, Global News. The city of Vancouver says it's working to catch up on garbage pickup, and that means Christmas tree recycling is delayed. Discarded Christmas trees are already starting to pile up in alleyways across the city. Crews had been planning to pick them up starting this weekend, but the December snowstorm stalled garbage pickup, and workers are instead clearing the mist trash and green bin backlog first. As a result, citywide Christmas tree collection has been postponed until next weekend. Residents can leave their trees out before 7 in the morning on Saturday, January 22nd. And coming up, weather extremes and global displacement. Why some people are migrating because of climate change. Plus, the dangers and damage at the site of a powerful explosion in Ottawa hampering recovery efforts. Following BC's destructive wildfire season and the devastating floods last year, many are wanting to return and rebuild their lives. But climate concerns have some people thinking about a permanent move. Kamya Razavi explains. We've got to leave town. The town is on fire. Seven months after it burned to the ground in a raging inferno, the town of Lytton in British Columbia is a shell of its former self. Across the country, weather havoc fueled by climate change is becoming impossible to ignore, and that's forcing people to rethink where and how they live. We think about a continuum of people who are on the move or could be on the move. That's on Jesse Keenan, a climate mitigation expert who studies the impact of global warming on people and communities. On one end of the continuum um, are people who are displaced because their homes are destroyed and they can't rebuild. On the other end of the equation are people who have the elective mobility. These are people who have the means. They're trying to get ahead of the curve. Katie Rohner and her husband lived through several intense wildfire seasons in California, including the devastating 2018 campfire, before finally deciding to pack up and leave. The last four, five years have just been undescribable. They moved to Duluth, Minnesota after hearing about the community on the shore of Lake Superior from a friend who had moved there. Not only is there water, 
um, there's less risk of wildfires because it is so green. Duluth realtor Karen Pagel-Gernt has definitely seen an uptick in interest in her hometown as well. I have worked with clients in the past that have um, purchased homes here due to the fact that they're trying to climate-proof their, their future. Experts say it's likely this kind of climate-induced migration is also happening in Canada. At the end of the day, um, again, people are moving. A trend that's only going to become more apparent as Canadians grapple with the reality of more extreme weather. Kamyar Razavi, Global News, Vancouver. Officials in Ottawa have located the bodies of four more people who died in a massive explosion on Thursday. Sadly, however, conditions at the site are so poor, no one has been able to get in to retrieve the remains. The blast destroyed a tanker truck manufacturing facility. In all, five people were killed. Investigators are still trying to pin down the cause of the explosion, reviewing drone footage and starting the painstaking task of removing debris. They'll be looking at machinery, utilities, even human factors to determine the cause. A woman was pushed to her death in front of a subway train in New York on Saturday. Police say 40-year-old Michelle Alyssa Goh was waiting for a train yesterday morning at the Times Square station when she was shoved. The man believed responsible left the scene but later turned himself in. 61-year-old Simon Marshall, who police say is homeless and has a criminal history, was charged with second-degree murder. Officials say the incident was unprovoked and the victim didn't appear to have an interaction with the accused. Last week, the city's mayor and the governor announced a plan to make the subway system safer. It includes bringing in teams of trained mental health professionals as well as desk patrol officers into the system so transit officers can ride trains. And coming up next, how you can take part in the Betty White Challenge in New West, the deli supporting dogs in memory of a longtime canine customer. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A New Westminster deli going to the dogs in honor of Betty White. White would have been positively thrilled with this scene. The famous actor and comedian who died on New Year's Eve loved animals. Tomorrow her 100th birthday and to mark the occasion the Betty White Challenge was created to raise money for animal welfare. So Greens and Beans Deli in New Westminster selling roast beef and cream cheese on toast not for humans but their four-legged customers in honor of one of their favorite patrons a pit bull named Chica who also recently passed away. People love their animals, and a lot of people, uh, animal charities are close to their heart. And of course, with Betty White passing and being a, a huge animal supporter, a lot of the shelters and rescues did put a call out saying, you know, one way to honor her name is to donate even $5 to a shelter or a rescue that, that is important to you. Funds raised this year going to the Wild West Animal League that supports animals in remote and rural areas of the province. All right, time now to check in with meteorologist Yvonne Schell for a look at the forecast for the week ahead. Yvonne? Neithu, we've had fog through the day with dry conditions and we are tracking some wet weather. It is going to be a soggy start for back to work and school. Overnight tonight, temperatures will be down to 4 degrees. We are looking at a slight chance for some showers, but the bulk of the moisture and precipitation is going to pick up. It'll be periods of rain for tomorrow and highs will be closer to 6 degrees. We're actually right around the average for this time of the year. The moisture along the south coast will be falling as rain, but we still have some instability for the interior with a bit of wet snow and a slight risk of freezing rain for the early morning hours as we watch 
watch that transition. And we are still tracking some snowfall along the northern half of the province. Now, the snowfall warning that is in effect for Fort Nelson and areas near the piece, two and up to 10 centimeters, and that's a special weather statement. Snowfall warning for McGregor as well as the Pine Pass, five and up to 10 centimeters for tomorrow, and Yellowhead with near or close to 15 centimeters. So we're still seeing that snowfall for that region. And then most areas along the south coast on the future cast, we can see that by the morning hours, heavier precipitation and wave will move along the south coast. Continuing through the day, it'll likely ease off to unsettled conditions on Tuesday, but we'll still see that chance for some showers. Now, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Rogers Pass could see anywhere between 10 and up to 15 centimeters, Pine Pass between 5 and 10, and areas near the Kootenai Pass between 2 and up to 4 centimeters through the day for tomorrow. The northern half of the province will see showers along the coast for the morning hours, clearing a break towards the afternoon with the mix of sun and cloud. Much of the central and southern interior could still see that wet snowfall. A few areas with the risk of freezing rain, Williams Lake and even Revelstoke will be included within that with that transition. Areas into the Okanagan will be wet flurries and then changing over with drier conditions through the afternoon. Whistler with a few wet flurries as temperatures are close to or hovering the freezing mark and then getting up to two degrees. And along the south coast, we are looking at periods of rain, highs between six, potentially up to eight degrees near Tofino. A soggy start for our Monday. Highs will be up to six degrees. We're tracking on and off showers on Tuesday and then another wave and periods of rain so far for our Wednesday and Thursday. Nithu. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, the drama from down under finally ending today with the world's top-ranked tennis player Novak Djokovic deported from the country just hours before the start of the Australian Open. Djokovic's visa exemption for being unvaccinated was rejected, marking the end of the roller coaster ride. Eric Sorensen reports. The orders of the court are, one, the amended application be dismissed Novak Djokovic dismissed from the Australian Open and from the country. Without delay, he headed for the airport, issuing a statement, I am extremely disappointed with the court ruling to dismiss my application. Uh, the court will then adjourn. Outside court, Djokovic supporters fell silent. It's a political stunt. This is, this is just so political. The court's chief justice said he was not ruling on the merits of the government decision to revoke Djokovic's visa, only on its legality. The government required visitors without a valid medical exemption to be fully vaccinated. Djokovic was not. That is the policy. That policy hasn't changed. On the court ruling, the Prime Minister stated, I welcome the decision to keep our borders strong and keep Australians safe, which is what many Australians wanted. I don't think it's fair that he'd be allowed to come in, to be honest. So I think it's the right decision. The world number one has been booted out. Of Australia. The controversy riled up a global audience, including his fans and anti-vax proponents for whom Djokovic is a hero. He was sending out a wide array of messages to the anti-vax people uh, by his mere refusal to say anything. Yeah, over here, looking over here. Others saw Djokovic using his lofty status as a sports celebrity to undercut life-saving public health policies while skirting the rules himself. He's a public figure. He's a role model. Not only does he does he end up on the losing end of the of the draw at the Australian Open, but I, I don't think he does anything for his public image moving forward either. Rafael Nadal wants to focus on tennis, not Djokovic. Australian Open will be a great Australian Open, uh, with or without him. The tournament is underway this evening, but for the world number one, it was, as they say, an early exit from the Australian Open. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto.
And BC tennis player Vasek Pospisil waited in to defend Jovic post Djokovic, I should say, posting on social media, Novak would never have gone to Australia if he had not been given an exemption to enter the country by the government. He would have skipped the Australian Open and been home with his family, and no one would be talking about this mess. There was a political agenda at play here with the elections coming up, which couldn't be more obvious. This is not his fault. He did not force his way into the country and did not make his own rules. He was ready to stay home. Well, just when we said it was over, there continue to be more important voices weighing in on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Vashik and, and Novak are, are good friends, and Vashik is the, the president, basically, of the Players Association of Pro Tennis, and Djokovic is uh, one of the big players who has supported him, so not a surprise that uh, Vashik would offer his support there. But closer to home, could not have had a better afternoon for the Canucks. The road trip from uh, hell has been pretty hellish to start, but they uh, did uh, issue a little bit of capital punishment to the Capitals today in Washington, and it couldn't have gone any better. So highlights, and we'll hear from the winners when we come back. All right. Thanks for that, Barry. Also ahead, a passionate advocate for child welfare and Indigenous rights is moving on. We hear from seven-term Splatine Cook Wayne Christian on what's next for him after a new chief was elected last week. The Splatine First Nation has elected a new leader. Former council member Doug Thomas unseating longtime Cookpea, also known as Chief Wayne Christian, by just five votes and describing the chance to take over from his dedicated predecessor as an honor. And we are honored to be joined now by former Cookpea Wayne Christian to talk more about his long run in office. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Need to. Uh, How are you doing as you prepare to transition out of the role after seven consecutive terms? Well, it's coming to the end of the first week, and it's just sort of uh, it's been an interesting transition for me to honestly stop thinking, you know, uh, in that way as a as a cook, as a chief. I can see why that's such a transition for you, because you were just 23 when you were elected to council. You first became Cook P at age 25. You've spent most of your adult life serving your community. So of the long list of accomplishments, what are you most proud of? Well, I think the biggest thing that uh, and the interesting part for me, what I was talking about in 1977, 1979 was about children and how important it was that we took control of that system and stopped uh, our children from going into the uh, white system, the child welfare system. You know, that to me is the most important thing to do is to look after the future, look after the children and making sure that we implemented our own laws and our own processes uh, based on Sopapan values and culture to protect them from further harm. And that's what I'm most proud of, all the work that I've done for children. And so when the 215 came up, it, it really impacted me because it hits me to the very core as an Indigenous man, as a son of a survivor. My mom went to that, that place because uh, I keep saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which government's in power. They're not going to do what we can do ourselves because they don't understand it. Uh, they uh, have a whole sort of systemic uh, genocidal racist system in place that's based on legislation and that hasn't changed since uh, confederation because it still exists today so we have to empower people to make those changes within themselves 
Well, speaking of government in power, it was in 1980 when you addressed then Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau in person. And more than 40 years later, this past October, you did the same with his son, current Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. In terms of the federal government's treatment of Indigenous people, how do you reflect on those two interactions and what's changed over that time? Well, the first interaction I had with uh, Justin's father, uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, was really around the Constitution. And because we actually developed a lobbying process where the people were involved, a movement that actually went across Canada to Ottawa, then to New York. And a year later, we went into Europe to seven different countries and went into uh, London and actually presented a petition to the Queen in 1981. So those things are different. It's a different time 40 years ago to what it is today. And on that note, before we let you go, I wanted to ask, what is next for you? It's uh, honestly, uh, it really is around healing. Now it's a little more time to focus on myself. I've given you know, a lot of my time and my life to the people and to the community. And now I have to sort of look back and uh, what can I do and the rest of my time on this earth to help other people and help myself at this point. And the young people have to be able to embrace and connect to the land again and their culture. That's what's important. Well, it has been such a privilege to look back with you, and we will certainly be in touch looking into the future. Former Cook P. Wayne Christian, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Nitu. Really appreciate it. Cook Shem. And to watch an extended interview with former Cook P. Christian, you can head to our website at globalnews.ca slash BC. All right, time for a short break, but on the other side of it, Barry's back with sports. Also ahead, the new show documenting the unique way a BC crew is reviving relic cars. The Harlem Globetrotters are coming to town. Don't miss them on their spread game tour as they bring their ankle-breaking moves, jaw-dropping swag, and hilarious basketball wizardry to audiences. Tickets available online. Celebrating its 20th year, don't miss the Dine Out Vancouver Festival. Over 300 restaurants across Metro Vancouver are offering exclusive fixed-price three-course meals, foodie events including Indigenous chef collaborations, tasting tours, and more. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back for a full look at sports. And what are we keeping an eye on on the Canucks front? Well, we were looking for a victory because it's uh, mm-hmm. been a while, Nithu, but uh, prayers answered for the Canuck Nation today. Thanks so much. The Canucks knew this road trip uh, was going to be a killer regardless if they had that 10-day break before it started or not. Predictably, they lost their first three games to powerhouses Florida, Tampa, and Carolina. Going 0-5 was definitely a possibility, but today in Washington, the Canucks dug deep. They got production from guys who need to produce, and they got a massive 4-2 victory over the Capitals. Thatcher Demko starting again. Yarrow Halak placed in COVID protocol yesterday. Forward Connor Garland joined him there today, so a bit shorthanded. Demko had to be sharp early. Nice save off Garnet Hathaway. If you missed it earlier this week, Demko will go to the All-Star game this year in Vegas. Well-deserved. He's been excellent. Canucks penalty kill has not been great on the trip. But again, they're playing quality teams. Hands up if you've seen Alex Ovechkin do this a few hundred times in his career. 26th goal ties him with Leon Dreisaitl for the league league. Career goal 756 for OV. But the Canucks tie it 
on their own power play. They've been dreadful so far, 0 for 12, but look who scores. It's a sight for Bruce Boudreaux's sore eyes. Elias Pettersson, his seventh, and you hope a huge boost of confidence. Well, four minutes later, guess who scores again? Pettersson banking it in off Caps goalie Ilya Samsonov. First multi-goal game this season for Pettersson. It's not an option. They need him to produce, and he did it today, and the Canucks had the lead 2-1. to one. Now the Capitals had a chance to tie it up. Former Canuck Nick Dowd bursting in alone, but loses the handle. Demko stares him down, keeps it out. Late in the second, another power play and another goal. Perfect execution. Bo Horvat pulling the trigger off the perfect feed from JT Miller. Canucks two for two on the power play. 3-1 lead after two. Horvat leads the team with 13 goals. But the Caps weren't done. They also get their second power play goal of the game. Tom Wilson with the one-timer, ties it, or actually makes it 3-2 to two with uh, lots of time left. But give Boudreaux's Canucks credit. They defended very well the rest of the way, showed great composure, and with a minute to go, Brock Besser wins the race to the puck to negate the icing and sets up JT Miller for the empty netter. Nice bounce back by Vancouver. Boy, did they need that. They snapped the three-game losing streak with a 4-2 win and one more game to go Tuesday in Nashville. I know what I'm capable of, of course. There's been uh, a very slow start for me, uh, but I mean, uh, it's a good win for us today, and I'm very happy with my two goals today. That's a huge thing. I mean, um, whether they went in off his head or great shots like they had, but I mean, it didn't matter. He got two, and hopefully, I mean, uh, we don't have a, a lot of natural scorers on our team, so I mean, uh, him scoring or starting to score, hopefully it's not an anomaly and a one-off, and he can continue to do this, and then that'll that'll make it an awful lot easier on us. No kidding. Uh, Surrey's Adam Svensson is spending this week in Hawaii, which is never a bad thing in January, but while he's there... He might as well go win his first ever PGA Tour event. The 28-year-old Svensson was tied for third, entering today's final round of the Sony Open in Honolulu. Svensson has won three tournaments on the Corn Ferry Tour, which is just one step below the PGA. So he's had experience winning at a high level, just not the highest level yet. Svensson's best finish on the PGA Tour, a 15th in his only full season back in 2018-19. A win or a top five really sets up his year. First hole, testing the nerves with a five-footer for par, but rolls it in. Part his first four, which in this tournament means you lose ground. The other Canadians uh, to play, or other Canadian to play the weekend, Corey Connors did make a big move. Approach at 10 to a couple of feet. Made that for birdie. Five under on the day. He was at 15 under and tied for third, and then rolls in another one at the 12th. Connors shot six under 64, posts 16 under, and uh, he's in the top 12. Back to Spenson, fifth hole, six-footer for par, makes it, but again, all pars while everyone else is making birdies. Now, he did have a bit of a uh, comeback on the back, that coming up, but leader Russell Henley threatened to run away with this thing on the front. His approach at the par 5 ninth from 205, look at that. That would lead to an easy eagle, six under on the front. He had a five-shot lead at 24 under. Spenson did make a charge on the back, back-to-back birdies at 14 and 15, and he just finished his round at 17 under, tied for seventh, his best ever. Henley leads Matsuyama by one as they play 18. Well, whether you agree or disagree with the Novak Djokovic decision, one thing is clear. Without the nine-time champion in the field, there are a lot of players 
who know their chances to win a major just went way up, including a couple of Canadians. Denis Shapovalov and Felix Ojealiasim are coming off last week's impressive win at the AT Cup, ATP Cup. They are in fine form, and Shapovalov was the first to see action on day one in Melbourne at the Australian Open. Shapovalov taking on Serbian Laszlo Gera. He's a good player, world-ranked 52. Shapovalov is 14th. Three out of five sets in the Grand Slams for men. So Shapovalov started a bit slowly, but got a late break to take the first set to a tie break and then came up clutch in the big points. Nice finish at net. Dennis wins the first set 7-6. Second set, Shapovalov gets another key break. Huge forehand sets that up. Won the second set, but Jera has come back to win the third. So they're in the fourth right now, but Dennis up two sets to one. NFL playoffs, Tom Brady and the Bucks starting their championship defense at home to the Philadelphia Eagles. And this was no contest. Bucks led 17-0 at the half, kept coming in the third quarter. Brady to Rob Gronkowski. They've done that a few times over the years in Tampa and New England, of course. 24-0 Bucks. Then after an Eagles turnover, Brady to Mike Evans. And he will go all the way for the touchdown, a 36-yarder. Tampa cruises to the 31-15 win. Brady's NFL record 35th playoff win in 46 starts. So they move on to the next round. Also in the NFC, Cowboys and 49ers. Dallas with the top-ranked offense in the NFL this season, but San Francisco in control early. Led 16-7 at the half and then stretched it in the third. Debo Samuel uh, looks like he's going to be stopped, but then Finds a hole. It's a 26-yard touchdown. 23-7 San Fran after three, but the Cowboys put their rally shoes on. Dak Prescott going to run it in for the TD. Ten straight points to start the fourth, and the Cowboys are down just six at 23-17. Now very late in the fourth. Cowboys, no timeouts. 14 seconds left. Dak Prescott decides that he's going to do a quarterback draw. Slides down. Now it's a race to stop the clock by throwing the ball down, but they run out of time. It was a bizarre decision that will be debated forever in Dallas to not go for the end zone there, and the 49ers win at 23-17. They will meet Green Bay at Lambeau Field next week. And one other one right going on right now in the AFC. Second-seeded Chiefs, seventh-seeded Steelers from KC. Not much happening until the second quarter when the Steeler defense comes up big. Daryl Williams drops the handoff, then fumbles when hit. T.J. Watt scoops and scores. 24-yard touchdown. And the Steelers' offense, which had 32 total yards, gets some offense from the defense. They're up 7-0, but the Chiefs respond. They tied it and then took the lead. Patrick Mahomes to Byron Pringle. They followed that up with a long touchdown to Travis Kelsey. 21-7 Chiefs at the half. And we'll finish with some football European style. English Premiership. Liverpool taking on Brentford at Anfield just before opening half is out. Off the corner kick, uh, kick. Fabinho with the finish off the bounce. Puts Liverpool on the board. They did not have Mo Salah or Sadio Mane in the lineup, but they didn't need them. Tack on a couple more in the second half. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain with the diving header. Liverpool take it 3-0. They're a point up on Chelsea into second in the Premiership, but still 11 points back of front-running Man City, although they do have a game in hand. And that is it for sports. Nithu, back to you. All right, thanks so much, Barry. And when we come back, how a BC group is taking restoring and reselling relic cars to new heights. Stick. I think there are still questions that need to be answered here. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. But at the end of the day, we talk. And where we talk is right here at CKNW.
Well, you might have seen them while driving through parts of the province. Relic cars, vehicles from the past that have been left abandoned. But a crew led by one BC man is on the hunt to find and recover them. Ollie Herrera of CKPG News reports. A hidden gold mine, out of reach until now. Abandoned and left to rot across North America. These cars may look like trash, but to this crew of hunters, it's a treasure waiting to be taken. This team is searching for relic cars to reserve, preserve, and resell. I truly believe there is a million cars in the north. Getting their hands dirty, this team is beginning their search right here in the Peace Region of Northern BC. Through the ups yes! and downs, Lost Car Rescue is helping keep history alive. I think it was the history that drew us. I mean, the cars were just, you know, excuse the pun, but the vehicle that got us there because there's few tokens that you can look out your window and then just see this, this thing that reflects a time in history. The idea came from team leader Matt Sager, who, alongside his brother and team member Steve, grew up with a passion for relic cars. Every car is different. Some cars are beyond rare. Well, one of maybe four or five in the world, and they hold a place on a podium that everyone should see. So those cars do go to museums. Other cars are extremely uh, valuable monetarily, and uh, we will sell them to uh, restorers. What is it? The three scoop. The show was filmed last summer throughout parts of northern BC and Saskatchewan. Much of the crew is from the province, with some like pilot Jessica James raised right here in northern BC. Though she has decades of experience in the skies, on the ground was a different story. It's her first time on TV, and James says learning about relic cars was rewarding. The whole process, though, I honestly have to say was a lot of fun. The team that we worked with, um, the cast and the crew, everyone it was just amazing to work with. This is not that deep. This isn't a car show about building cars. This is a car show about going on an adventure. And it's about sitting in that right seat with us as we go on that adventure and learn and fly through that time machine of Canadians' history and uh, where these cars have been and where they're going to go. This is the 34 Chev. It doesn't get any better than that. Ollie Herrera, CKPG News. Wow. Those are cool cars, you see. I'd have like a 74 Pinto. Those aren't the kind of <laughs> story. You let those ones go into Mother Earth, you see. Exactly. What they're doing is cool. You let them retire on their own. That <laughs> yeah. is neat. We'll have to tune in for that one. Thank you all so much for sharing some of your Sunday night with us. Jordan will be here at 11, and we'll see you soon.